you can keep driving that bus in the right direction, even if your kid really isn't ready to come along with you. In trust that your faith in Christ, your hope will will be its own light in that child's darkness. And they will remember, you know what, mom, mom reminded us that Jesus doesn't fail us, that his promises are still true. And I've never forgotten that. And all of those little breadcrumbs that she dropped along the way, that commitment she had to keep driving us in the same direction, it's made a difference. Welcome to the Rooted Parent Podcast, which equips parents to think biblically about some of the most pressing and confusing issues of our day. The Rooted Parent Podcast is part of the Rooted Family of Podcasts, which also includes the Rooted Conference Podcast, the Rooted Youth Ministry Podcast, Ask Alice, and Thanos to Theos. Rooted is a ministry that focuses on advancing grace-filled, gospel-centered, Bible-saturated youth ministry. Learn more at rootedministry.com. Here are your hosts, Cameron Cole and Anna Mead Harris. Welcome to the Rooted Parent Podcast. I am Cameron Cole. And I'm Anna Mead Harris. They call me. Big C. And they call her. I'm the team mom. And today we are really excited uh, to have with us Clarissa Mall. Yes. From the North Shore of Boston. Uh, sorry, the North Shore of Boston in Massachusetts. That's right. So it's probably a little cooler up there today than it is down here in Alabama. Well, it's 97 degrees here today. We no, are coming at home. <laughs> it is summer's last gasp. And uh, so the storms are supposed to roll in this afternoon. We'll drop about 10, 15 degrees. But yeah, today it's pretty hot. I'm impressed. You've That's got impressive. summer credential. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I, I think we have had two days since June the 1st where the, the high has been under 90 here in Alabama. And I hate to tell you this, but we are just halfway home. Oh no. September, August and September break your back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's true. It's true. It's well, so we may have to get up there for a visit sometime uh, there you go. <laughs> in September to get away, to get away. Now we're thrilled to have Clarissa today. She's an award-winning writer and a podcaster. And she really has a ministry helping bereaved people to find flourishing after loss. She's the widow of Rob Mall and mother to four children. And she hosts a podcast called Surprised by Grief over at Christianity Today. You'll find her writing in lots of places, Christianity Today, TGC, Relevant, and of course, Rooted, among others. (laughs) She's been a Rooted writer for over two years. Um, And... In July, she published her first book with Tyndale. It's called Beyond the Darkness, A Gentle Guide for Living with Grief and Thriving After Loss. Welcome, Clarissa. We're so glad to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much. It's great to be with you guys. Well, um, today we're going to talk primarily about grieving teenagers and how we can minister well to them. But as you know, I'm a widow too. And I think I've read all the widow books and all the grief books I I could find. And my kids used to tease me about the stack of what they called depressing books. Mom, you've got to stop reading depressing books. Um, But I have to say your book is not depressing. And I just want to know. Yes. Yes. I want to know how, how you manage that to write a book about grief that is not depressing. 
Mm. Well, oftentimes people will ask me, you know, how I can't imagine how people go through loss without knowing Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the core of, of what um, enabled me to be able to write something that wasn't despairing. As believers, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. And uh, we cling to that reality in grief. Um, certainly does not mean that we sail through, that we can um, have an easy road, but uh, that valley of the shadow of death is not a despairing place when you have Jesus walking beside you. Amen. Amen. That's beautiful. Uh, well, yes, you you pull that off. You look back and honor what's been before, but you also look forward. And in the present, Jesus is is with us every moment. And you really balance those three things nicely. So so talk to us about the way children grieve. You say mm. they grieve differently from adults. What, what do you mean by that? They do. They do. You know, kids are growing so quickly. Um, sometimes it seems like, especially in the middle school and high school years, they wake up with new bodies in the morning. You know, it's like he went to bed with those, uh, the baby cheeks and all of a sudden he has grown three inches overnight and looks like a young man. Um, and we don't account for that very much when we talk about uh, children who are grieving. We don't account for the rapid change that they're undergoing developmentally, emotionally, spiritually, almost every day. And um, so in places where an adult might grieve for an extended period of time, we often don't find that children do those kind of things. They do what I like to call popcorn grieving. It just sort of pops up. They have a moment. It's a big moment with a lot of emotion. And then it just kind of fades away and they go play basketball outside or they go to school and, and it doesn't seem to phase them at all that they're carrying this burden of grief. And, you know, I as I think about our teens, uh, and the way that they process loss, I think that this developmental kind of design for their, uh, for coping is just a marvelous gift of the Lord. Uh, you think about, uh, young runners or young wrestlers, any of these kids who are playing on sports teams at school, They've got to lift weights, but we know that if they lift weights too much when they're young, it's bad for their bones, it's bad for their muscles, you know, they're still developing. And I think that the burden of grief is similar. It is something that is, it's a, it's going to be a heavy weight to carry for the rest of their lives. And if we, if God expected them to carry all of that, that weight right now in these young bodies, I don't know that they could survive. And so it's really a mercy of the Lord that sometimes grief comes on strong and then it it falls back a little bit into the background uh, so that they're able to build up those muscles that eventually will be able to shoulder the weight of the things that they've lost. Yeah, I think I think one of the things I hear you saying there, Clarissa, is just how um, long the tale of grief is, particularly for a child. And, you know, with, um, I think, you know, after, after my son died, I think one of the things I became aware of was I'd had students in my ministry and they had a, um, a parent die and it had been like three, four or five years before. And I had been present, you know, in the first six months, um, present for the anniversary, but not hadn't really tracked with them after that. And I became aware of, wow, now this is, this is going to, look different with every transition. This is going to pop up. Like you said, the popcorn, it's going to pop up at graduation, um, you know, key rites of passage. And I started to 
meet with the, start to visit with those students, you know, five, six, seven years after their parent had died and say like, you know, what is it like now? Mm -hmm. um, and even prepare parents to say, Hey, it's graduation. Your husband died, your mom died, or your wife died, you know, eight years ago, but she needs to be prepared that graduation, going to college, your child is going to feel the loss of that, you know, his parent um, more profoundly right now than say just a normal season of life. Yeah, very true. And because our culture likes to think of grief as a linear process, you know, we work through the five stages, we go from A to Z, from uh, from pain to recovery or healing. Uh, we, we're not accustomed to that long that long uh, lasting nature of grief. And that's why in my book, I talk about grief as a companion. I think we need a paradigm shift. We need to have some other way to talk about how this lasts really until Jesus comes again. And I love um, Isaiah, you know, we, we hear about Jesus being the man of sorrows, who's acquainted with grief. And in Hebrew, that word acquainted is familiar friend. So we see that in Jesus, uh, we have this model of what it is to to welcome sorrow into our existence, to walk with it um, and do it without despair, which, um, you know, certainly feels impossible when you are in that deep slough of grief. Um, but Jesus shows us how to do it. And, um, and it's a beautiful model for how we can, empowered by his spirit, do the same thing. Mm -hmm. How do you advise a parent help a child who doesn't want to feel the bad feelings, the sad feelings, the, the anger, the grief, um, wants mm -hmm. to avoid those things um, or pretend like, pretend like, well, you know, yes, my mom died, but lots of kids lose their moms and lots of people have hard things. And so mine just really wasn't that bad. How, how do you help a child with that? Well, I think there are a couple of things. Um, first, you know, we never want to compare losses. Uh, grief is universal, but it's also unique. Each, yeah. each loss is important. And, uh, but different losses affect us in different ways. You know, a, a distant friend, that, that grief you're going to carry in a different way than you carry the grief of an intimate family member. And so just validating the fact that their grief is welcome here, whatever level of it they're feeling at the time, it's welcome. And, uh, and not feeling like you need to, uh, compare your loss to someone else's downplay, or sometimes, you know, we, we like to play the victim too. And, and, make the burdens we carry seem way bigger than anything anyone else is carrying. You know, we, we don't need to do that. We can let go of that knowing that uh, Jesus welcomes us to, to bring all of who we are to him and, um, and that this is not a comparison game. I think the second thing though, is that, um, you know, it, there's, there's always a balance between feeling the hard feelings and feeling what we like to think of as the happy things. Um, it makes me think of when my kids play in the pool and, you know, inevitably there's somebody who wants to get the big beach ball and try to sit on it under the water, you know, and they can ride for a little while with that beach ball pressed under the water, but yeah. eventually somebody wiggles too much and whoop, it goes right, you know, flying into the air, right Brilliant. out of the water. Right? And, and that's how it is. That's how it is with our hard feelings that the things that we want to push down. Yeah. And, you know, I want to say that 
we want to push down anger sometimes, but sometimes we want to push down the happy feelings too. You know, I don't, I don't want to characterize it as, um, as only negative feelings that we might have that we try to, to avoid. Sometimes right. we're in a place where we feel like culturally speaking, you know, I'm not going to, nobody's going to make sense of what I'm going through unless I act sad all the time. You know, so I think it goes both ways. Um, but the more we press those things under the water, you know, it's going to show up somewhere else. And chances are those emotions that we have um, compressed, repressed, tried to avoid when they shoot forth, it's going to be big and uh, a whole lot harder to manage in the moment than if we allowed this sort of slow leak that I think uh, can be more helpful in processing those hard emotions. Yeah. And I, I think one thing that I've observed, and I think something we probably have to verbally like explicitly articulate to kids is that I think a lot of times they feel guilty. Mm-hmm. They're happy. Yeah. They, you know, they don't understand that they have the, the permission, the, you know, the words permission to experience mm-hmm. the full spectrum of feelings. So they feel guilty if they're happy. Like I, like as a matter of duty, I should be sad because of this loss. Yeah. And they probably explicitly need to be given permission. No. Yeah, certainly. And I've told my own kids, you know, I, uh, I love it when I see you go out on the basketball court or come home from a youth group event and you're not thinking of dad. It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing that he's not consuming your thoughts at every moment. Uh, it's it's a good thing that, that God has built resilience into your body. Uh, he has given you his resurrection power and you're living it. You're living it. And that's a good thing. That's healthy. And um, I want to affirm that for them anytime I can. That's really, really encouraging. In your book, I ran across a term that I hadn't heard of before, re-grief. I really like that. Can you tell us what that is and how parents can be prepared for it? Sure. Well, re-grieving is a, um, it's a developmental kind of experience that children have uh, as they carry their loss throughout their lifetimes. Uh, for example, you're, you have a grandparent who passes away and you've got a six-year-old and that six-year-old, they may understand that death means something permanent, that grandma's gone forever. Um, but they don't really understand what happens in the body. They don't understand illness, perhaps, um, or the ramifications of that death in other relationships and maybe even in their own lives. Well, they get to age nine and they're going through a lot of changes. They're starting to see the world differently. And they notice that grandma is absent in a way that they didn't notice before. And it makes them sad. And they're not quite sure what to do with that sadness because grandma died a long time ago. And um, they get to their you know, teenage years or they become a parent themselves and they see their own parent as a grandparent for the first time. And it provokes with them that it within them a kind of grief that they can't really put their finger on. They can't name that. That's what regrieving looks like, that we take this one loss that we've experienced or, or multiple losses, and we understand them differently over time as we develop and grow. And um, yeah, lots of parents are not prepared for that. And uh, so they might say things like, why are you still sad? that happened a long time ago, or uh, try to kind of 
have a sort of spiritually palliative answer, like it's okay, you know, so-and-so is in heaven now, as though um, our eternal security in Christ or our um, or the fact that time has passed somehow heals that wound. But the reality is we carry it in some way in our hearts and in our minds for the rest of our lives. And, and that's okay. Well, and you're using the example of uh, grandma, passing away, for example, makes me think about all the parents who are carrying their own grief while their children oh, grieve. Yeah. And you mentioned that in the book is uh, I'm, I just want to read a little brief passage because I think it's so beautifully said, um, no more powerless feeling exists in all the world than to see your child endure a pain you cannot take away. You yeah. cannot assuage even a bit. There exists no distraction, no reward, no encouragement, no gift, no friendship that can fill the aching void that compels him to tears. Death has pierced his tender life and sorrow now has darkened every part. Behind every smile, he hides a broken heart. Mm, I just, just um, so often we parents are are carrying children who are carrying grief and Mm -hmm. What what do you have to say to the parent who's managing their own grief while they help their children? What how can you encourage them? Well, certainly it is a hard task. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the first thing to just <laughs> affirm the 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 giant effort that it takes to carry your own sorrow and also care for young hearts. Um you know, a lot of us as parents, when hard things happen in our families, we shoulder through. It's like time to be mama bear. And, you know, we we say, okay, I'll deal with my own feelings later. I got to know that my kids are okay. Um, and there there is an element of survival where that's okay. It's, you know, you do what you have to do as a parent. And yet, if you don't do your own soul care, if you don't uh, acknowledge your own emotions, uh, you'll run dry and you'll have nothing left to offer to your children. So, you know, it's, it is that old adage of putting your own oxygen mask on before you help the child seated beside you. Um, There is, there is that you've got to do that. Take care of yourself, spend time with the Lord, lament as much as you need to uh, connect with a community that will support you as a person, Mm -hmm. uh, not just you as a parent, but you as, as you. And, um, and do those things that are, are really valuable. And and you can release the guilt that time spent taking care of yourself is time away from your child because uh, time spent taking care of yourself is time that you're investing in your child. And uh, it's important for us to see that, see it that way when we're grieving because, um, because this is a marathon. This is not a sprint. And the amount of time that you spend taking care of yourself will only uh, it will only bear fruit in what you're able to offer to your children for support and encouragement and uh, the kind of spiritual resource that you'll need to be for them for the long haul. That's really, really helpful. Extremely helpful. Yeah. That's really well said. This time, I think it's time for us to take a commercial for one of our sponsors. I don't know we had to say something reverent, but this is such a sacred conversation. I'm not going to be a reverend today. <laughs> no, no smokeless tobacco references. Yeah, maybe, maybe the maybe our fictitious sponsor is Kleenex for for this one. Okay. So okay. Yeah. But but no, in, in sincerity, a word from our sponsor. We'll be right back. 
Worldview Academy helps students discover and apply the Bible's timeless wisdom on how to think, how to live, and how to lead. Thousands of students call our week-long summer camps the best week of their lives. Our approach to every subject begins with digging into the foundations, examining the underlying assumptions, lifting the hood to see how the engines of rival philosophies work. Then we examine those rival philosophies and their consequences in today's culture. The best week of your student's life features engaging faculty members who communicate timeless truths for today's teenagers at camps across the country. Learn more at worldview.org. Welcome back to the Rooted Parent Podcast. We, are, again, are talking with Kokosa Mull, award-winning author, and uh, particularly author of the, the book, Beyond the Darkness, A Gentle Guide for Living with Grief and Thriving After Loss. And so we've been talking about how to shepherd children through grief, you know, as parents um, or people who work in ministry or just, you know, people church, church members and yeah. people who care. And so one of the things you touch on is the difficulty and, and awkwardness, potential painfulness of going back to church, um, you know, or, or being at church in the season of a difficult loss. And it's something my wife and I experienced, but um, Clarissa, could you tell us a little more about your, your thoughts and your experiences on that? Sure. Yeah, I, I have, I feel like I've spent my entire life in the church, uh, serving and being served, worshiping and, uh, and so the church always has felt like a second home to me. Uh, and so it was strange after my husband died to feel like I didn't belong anymore. And, uh, you know, a lot of churches programming is designed for families and we were a strange looking family now, um, you know, a, a mom with four kids. We just didn't fit anywhere. Um, I didn't fit in couples, Sunday school classes anymore. And, um, and just the the structure and the programming of a church community didn't take into account the fact that my family looked different now and that I carried this, this thing that was really heavy. Um, in addition, you know, uh, and, and I certainly I want to say that my church community has been amazing. Both my community here in Boston and my uh, church home in Seattle, where we formerly lived, uh, I could not have endured the last three years without these pe- people literally carrying me to Jesus. Uh, like that story of the uh, the men who let their friend down to Jesus, I have felt carried by them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet, you know, church services generally spend very little time in lament. Uh, it's it's sequestered to a service maybe at the holidays where people are feeling the loss of a loved one, um, but we don't spend a lot of time in pastoral prayer in the the liturgical elements of our services, spending time talking about the brokenness of the world, and um, and so for people who are sitting utterly broken in the pews, it can easily feel like the church just isn't for them anymore. Oh man, that breaks my heart. You know, I will say though this, that one of the most compellingly hopeful things that I experienced in the church after Rob died uh, was we're standing in the uh, the narthex, the, the entryway for his memorial service. There are, you know, 200 people waiting inside. And I look across uh, the, the room and I see someone walking toward me. It is my kid's youth pastor who has flown 3,000 miles 
to be at this memorial service. Had no idea that she'd be arriving. We'd only known her for a year because we were new at the church. And um, and that statement of commitment to my family was so powerful in those, that was the first, within the first month of his death. And I feel like as I've gone along seeing how the church can care for grieving people. I think that's what we need to do. We don't need more parachurch ministries. We don't need a better uh, meal train or uh, you know, a handyman service. We need the gift of presence. And the amazing thing is, this is something anybody can do. You don't have to be on pastoral staff. You don't have to be a lay leader. All you need to do is commit to showing up. And that's commit to showing up from the very beginning at the memorial service for the person you don't know all that well, but is part of your church family. Um, It means remembering over and over as long as it takes uh, to reassure a person that their loss has not been forgotten. And um, I'm convinced over the last three years of watching how my church and other churches have begun to do this so well. I feel like COVID in some ways has just sharpened our attention toward the grief that people carry to church. Um, I think, honestly, I'm I'm really hopeful about the church and, and how it's even now doing better than it was three years ago when I was a young widow. Wow. Praise the Lord. That's really encouraging. That's super encouraging. Don't hear that. Yeah. I don't hear that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think too, um, of course, one thing that Anna and I were talking about offline is just how important it is to be a, you know, terminology we often use is a theology of the, of the cross versus a theology of glory. A theology of, of glory, you know, wants to minimize pain and sees that as the enemy of faithfulness, whereas theology of the cross sees like the Lord's presence in our pain yeah. in our, in, in our failure. And that, that's kind of, um, that's where the Lord really, we feel his comfort. That's where the Lord transforms us. But, you know, I could, I could speak and if to churches needing to constantly be speaking from the pulpit and just in general to the person who's suffering and grieving and broken, but also as people just, you know, not feeling the, um, not, you know, resisting the temptation to be the perfect, happy, clappy Christian person, um, to be people of the cross in the sense that we are honest about grief and, and difficulty and that, um, gosh, how, just how wounding and alienating it is. If, if, if the, if the culture of the church is glory oriented Mm -hmm. and is not, naming and constantly embracing the the people who are suffering. That's so true. And I find sometimes it it can be coming, the message can be coming, cross can be coming through loud and clear from the pulpit, but the minute the service is over and everybody's milling around, you know, you're surrounded by happy families where everybody scored perfect on their SAT and, you know, scored five goals in the game before, you know, and it's, it's, uh, it's hard to let that permeate mm-hmm. our, our interactions with people, with people in the church. One of the things I really, though, want to, um, to talk with you about is your vision for flourishing, mm-hmm. because I love that. And as someone who has, um, my husband died in 2010, and for a long time, the idea of flourishing felt like a betrayal. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, But I also wanted, as you say, I wanted the pain of Rob's death to transform me, not cripple me. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, you go on to say flourishing after the death of a loved one is a choice 
we each must make. We must choose to move in that direction. Um, tell me, tell me a little bit more about how do we find the courage to make that choice? And with our children, we can't choose it for them. <laughs> how can we help them grow towards that flourishing? Yeah. Well, I think that, I mean, I know in my own heart, it's come from recapturing a vision of what God intends for his world and for his people. Uh, I think that in my own spiritual life over the last three years, I have never prayed, come quickly, Lord Jesus, so much mm-hmm. <laughs> in my, I mean, it's, yeah. I've I just longed for his appearing in a way that I never did before. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that's a big part of what inspires us toward flourishing uh, because we're reminded that uh, we don't have just sort of a disembodied ethereal heaven to look forward to, but we have this renewed heavens and earth, uh, a new creation that God is doing within us right now and uh, will come to consummation one day. And, you know, it's, it's, it's hard in the darkness of sorrow to believe that that seed has been planted inside of you by the spirit. It's hard to believe that yes, in Christ, I am a new creation. And that means I'm part of the new creation that he is already bringing about in, um, in the development and the unfolding of his kingdom, but it's still there. Even on those days, you don't believe it. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, the first step toward flourishing is to simply claim that promise and begin rehearsing it to your heart. Just telling yourself every day, you know, I am, I am beloved by God and uh, his good plans for me did not die when my person died. Uh, That his, that, that, you know, that we pull out the verse from Jeremiah that is Plans are to prosper us, you know, give us a hope and a future. And it feels like a Hallmark card, honestly, when things are really hard. But even when it feels cliche, it's still gospel truth. And mm-hmm. uh, when we when we stand at the empty tomb, suddenly it makes it a little bit easier to stand at the tomb, uh, the grave of someone that we love, because um, that empty tomb makes all the difference for Christians. And so I think that. Uh, flourishing begins with that. It begins gra- with grounding ourselves in gospel hope and not in a way that diminishes sorrow, but in a way that really focuses on how God is going to transform sorrow. Mm-hmm. And then it's a million little steps in the right direction after that. It's, you know, two steps forward, one step back. It's trying mm-hmm. new things, taking risks and, you know, pulling back a little bit to nurse that sorrow as much as it needs to be cared for. Uh, it means sometimes branching out and finding new friends, um, finding people who can support the person that you long to be after loss. And, you know, when you have kids, it's pulling them along for the ride. You know, I think about how I drive my kids to church every single Sunday, and sometimes there are grouchy people in the backseat, and sometimes there are people who are not quite awake, but we all get there because I believe that this is the direction we need to head. And as a parent of a grieving child, as a parent of a grieving teen, you can keep driving that bus in the right direction, even if your kid really does, isn't ready to come along with you. And mm-hmm. um, and entrust that your faith in Christ, your hope 
will will be its own light in that child's darkness. Mm-hmm. Uh, that there will come a time where um, you know your child is not in the place they are now, and they will remember. You know what, mom, mom reminded us that Jesus doesn't fail us that his promises are still true. And I've never forgotten that. And all of those little breadcrumbs that she dropped along the way, that commitment she had to keep driving us in the same direction, um, it's made a difference over time. And um, we know that all of parenting is for the long haul, right? (laughs) We know that. And we've got to take the long view. And that's certainly still the same uh, when we talk about grief. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that is so beautiful. I, one of the verses that, that meant the most to me, behold, I'm making all things new. And I would talk to Jesus about that and be like, I mean, for real, it does not look like that. I cannot see where you're going. Okay. You said it, it must be true, but boy, it sure looks like you're blowing everything up before you make it new, (laughs) but okay. Yes. You're yeah. making all things new. And that actually includes not only me, but my kids too. And having the faith, maybe even having the faith for them, like mm-hmm. you said, pulling them along, faith on their behalf um, is, uh, yeah, is a, is a measure of, um, of, of grace from, from God for us as parents. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Clarissa, I'm just, I'm just so thankful for your ministry, um, for your writing. I know your, your podcast helps so many as well. Um, but I can personally testify that this book beyond the darkness is just really beautiful. Um, just for listeners, um, she does a really good job of, of balancing the practical with the theological and, and really showing how those two things go hand in hand. They're not separate because we are um, um, embodied souls um, that God created in these bodies. And um, she does a really wonderful job about uh, talking about stewarding our energy and our time and our um, um our brains and our bodies have suffered when, when they undergo grief. And I, I commend the book for you, to you for uh, many reasons, but, but that discussion is, is particularly unique, I think. Um, but I, I just recommend this book so highly. I thank you for all the work that you're doing and um, grateful that you have offered yourself back to the Lord in a way um, that will help so many people. Clarissa, thank you. Thank you. Um, This has been the Rooted Parent Podcast. Thank you for joining us. And um, we will be back with another episode of Ask the Expert. So stay tuned. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of Rooted Parent. If you found this podcast helpful or encouraging, we'd appreciate your help in bringing this grace-filled, gospel-centered, Bible-saturated content to others who might also benefit. Help us serve others by sharing this resource on social media, by leaving five-star feedback, or simply by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. For more grace-filled, gospel-centered, Bible-saturated resources, be sure to visit www.rootedministry.com. As always, special thanks to High Street Hymns for the music featured on this episode.